0: Welcome to Forward Talks, a podcast about moving towards sustainability. A quick thanks to our partners, RSpace. Our RSpace our is the first co working community to connect humans with nature. Designed to bring out the best in us, find out more at rspace.org. If you've ever grown anything in your balcony or back garden, you know how amazing it is to see it bloom in front of your eyes. It's almost addictive. Especially in this part of the world, in the desert, where a harsh climate and sand make it tough to grow most produce. In fact, the story of Green Heart Farms in the UAE started in the same way. Elena Kinan started her garden in an apartment balcony, and this took a turn after the birth of her daughter 10 years ago.
1: You know, initially I did everything just for my own family. So we grew our own vegetables and we we looked at feeding ourselves in a a healthy way, in a sustainable way. Um, But when I had my kids, my first daughter actually, I looked at the world in a different way because suddenly, you know, you feel the love for a child. And then you think, oh, well, what about all the other children? You know, there's, there's so many kids. And you, you realize how important nourishment is for their development. First of all, I gave them away and had a bit extra and, you know, I made some other mommy friends. And, and it kind of went from there. And then people said, oh, you should be really good at this. You know, you should make it as a business. And so it came, the business idea really came from having a child and being connected with other mothers that had kids, you know, and the desire to, to grow vegetables on a broader scale. The way we've lived the last you know, few thousand years is not how our ancestors for the past 20,000 years have lived. You know. So our recent development is very new, really, to us. And because we're so far removed, we, we can't even feed ourselves anymore. And we, when, once you rediscover what it means to actually grow your own food, it's quite a revelation, to be honest. And when you cut your own lettuce in your own garden and you realize that if you leave it out on on your countertop for half an hour and it starts wilting, then you realize that the food that you buy in the supermarket that doesn't wilt after three weeks, that there is something seriously wrong with that, you know.
0: So you consider food, uh, clean food, as a, a medicinal, a cure?
1: Yes, in both ways, you know, for your body, obviously, but also for for your mind, you know, for your psyche. You know, it's, it's a really good way of connecting again with um, what's important. What is
0: clean food? Can you explain for the people who are not familiar? When you grow and you start growing in your balcony something clean?
1: As much as you can grow it clean, you know, because you obviously you're surrounded by a lot of other fact, factors that you can't influence, but it means you grow it in soil that is rich in natural nutrients. So nutrients that are not uh, chemically derived, other people may not share this opinion, but in my opinion, they should be grown from um, heirloom seeds, so not from industrially produced seeds. So seeds that can reproduce that are not sterile. So that's very important. The way um, uh, old-fashioned seeds absorb nutrients is quite different from from industrialized seeds. Industrialized seeds are there to produce food very quickly um, and um, not necessarily nutritious food. So that's why when we buy tomatoes, they don't taste of anything. You know, they're very watery. There's no texture to them. So clean food is completely free of chemicals. So no pesticides, herbicides, um, no fungicides, good seeds and it grown in good soil with clean water.
0: So if I want to start this journey, how can I find the good seeds? Are they available in shops, uh, or do, is it something that... Because I remember years ago you telling me you went to Italy, got six different species of tomatoes from there, brought them here, and then used the seeds of those tomatoes. So that's,
1: am I going to go through all this? See, this is you know, for us we needed a large scale, obviously. So for years we've been exchanging seeds and we've now got our own seed bank. So we have a lot of our own seeds and we've been extending and we have a lot of unusual seeds. But for yourself, I mean, what a lot of people actually do, they come and buy our vegetables and keep the seeds. So we are unfortunately not in a position right now to sell seeds. Just to give you an idea, for us to flower kale, because kale is not a fruit vegetable, so you have to get it to flower in order for the little pouches to develop and then you can take the seeds out. That alone takes around seven to nine months for the kale to flower and for the little seed pots to arrive. And then once the seed pots are there, then they need to dry fully. So it's a long, long procedure, you know. Yes. Um, but it's easier for fruit vegetables because you can just, let like capsicums, tomatoes, eggplant, cucumbers, you can just take the seeds from the actual fruit and uh, the trick is to let it mature as much as possible on the vine, but obviously as a consumer you can't do that. But you can just put them in the sun and let the seeds um, live inside the fruit for as long as possible so the seed still grow a little bit, get a little bit bigger even though it's taken away from the actual vine. And then you can um, clean it, uh, you can quickly flash freeze it uh, to basically stimulate the seeds, so pretending that there has been a winter. And then you can plant them and a lot of our customers have had great results you know they have i mean not as much as we do because it does take a little bit of knowledge but you you get better and there's a great book as well um the arabian almanac so there's a a group of uh, gardening enthusiasts they have written a book um which we also sell about how to grow in the uae and they've taken a lot of times been written in conjunction with slow food and they have written the book in sort of more from a gardener's perspective. We, we do it in a larger scale now, so we haven't... We're not really gardeners anymore. We've outgrown that a long time ago. It's not yeah. a balcony anymore. It's not a balcony anymore. You know, I kind of skipped a few steps in between. I went from the balcony to kind of a large farm very quickly, you know. And um, so... But this is a very good book, and I, and that's a good way of starting. Now, to
0: to go back to your own experience, so you started growing in your balcony, yes. and then how did you decide, wh- where, where does the vision come from actually starting a whole organic farming in the UAE? So a,
1: a friend of mine who's a local with a farm, we spoke, and I know that um, he's always traveling to Bavaria, and my mother is from Bavaria, so we had some places in common. And um, so we were talking about the organic movement in Bavaria and he loved it. And so we said, oh, you know, I I grow my own vegetables on my balcony. I said, you know, try. And then he said, oh, well, why don't you try at my place? You know, let's see what happens. And then it kind of evolved very quickly. You know, so we, it it kind of went from one thing to the next. And um, before we knew it, it was, um, you know, it was his idea to actually, come on, let's do it bigger. Then we started delivering to Arabian ranches I shouldn't really say that too loud, but in the back of my car, <laughs> my four by four, you know, we were delivering, uh, we were sending out emails and uh, it was it was very amateur in a, in a sense. But you see, you have to understand, we didn't really know it, if it had a future because no one really else had done it, you know, in that sense. We really didn't know how would people receive it, how sustainable would it be in terms of how much can we grow, will it make money, you know, will it... Because in the end of the day, no matter what, it has to feed itself. Unfortunately, this venture didn't last all that long. But
0: Eleanor regrouped, wanting to learn from the experience, and revisited her concept, launching as Greenheart Farms in 2012.
1: It was kind of almost fluid, you know, we finished one, okay took a deep breath, <laughs> looked at all of what, what happened, you know, how it started and what went wrong and so forth. And then um, we started out very small again, very small. and um, But it was always really important to me to be genuine. So we had a zero chemical policy from day one. Okay. That was really important because, you see, once you understand how everything works together, you realize that the moment you add even just a little bit of chemical into the mix, it unbalances everything And once you unbalance everything, it just slides down, you know, and you can't stop it. And you will have more and more problems because those chemicals kill everything, you know. Pesticides, they don't just kill the bad, they kill the good, you know, and the damage. And we really, this is the thing, what's really crazy is we don't understand soil. Scientists, till this day, do not understand soil. And they understand very little of how soil is put together. And um, I always say this to people, you know, if you see this cup, you know, if you fill it with healthy soil, you know, there is more microorganisms in that small cup than there are human beings on this planet. And we haven't bothered to research it because it's not been a priority. People don't understand my fascination with soil, but the more you read about it and you understand, I mean, the climate crisis that we have right now... um, It is partly to do with the fact that we don't grow food the way we're supposed to because carbon is stored in healthy soil. You see, carbon is stored in trees. So by getting rid of the trees and by killing the soil, you know, we are heating up this planet. Eating is something that should nourish our body. But we are feeding ourselves with food that does not nourish us and it kills the planet. And we are overgrowing cheap food. People talk about the price point of organic farms. Oh, but it's too expensive. But really, when you think about it, right, cheap food is costing us an awful lot, you know. And there's a real cost attached to the damage that growing industrial food causes I mean, we spend a lot of money in
0: medicines to cure ourselves. We spend a lot of money into supplements and minerals. And when we could get all of that from our food. What fascinates me, when you talk so passionately about the soil, how can you transform the desert sand into fertile soil here in the U. This process for me is incredible. And I think I would really like you to explain how you did because I know it's a long process. It's a long process. So
1: I really studied um, how in nature soil regenerates, right? So if you go to the jungle or to any big forest or, um, you know, any area that is completely untouched by humans, what happens? So they have obviously the seasons. So, you know, the leaves fall down you know, in the in the fall, you know, animals uh, crawl around, you know, they um, crawl through the soil, they poop, they do, you know, so all of this, what, what actually happens when you look at sort of the, the year, it, it, what happens is um, the decay that happens, you have to copy it, because it's the decay of the old that nourishes the new, right, so when you grow food in dead soil, it won't nourish you the same way. So I always thought, right, we need to understand first how um, did, were we supposed to live. We looked at composting in a way. What are the elements that we need to include? So composting, your waste, is one element to it. But in order to make the compost a lot more potent, you also need animal manure, especially now when we live in a desert and we have to start from scratch. You see, because we have sand... And there's not much in sand. So we need to um, have a little bit more potence. And that's what you get from animal manure. So we feed, uh, we have um, goats, chickens, um, cows, and we feed them food grown on our farm. So they eat organic. (laughs) They eat better than the average expat, you know. (laughs) The the prime um, objective is to make the manure, to add it to the crop leftovers that can't be fed to the animals so we have two types of crop leftovers the one that we feed to the animals and the ones that are purely there for composting so these are all the vines all the hard stuff you know that you can't feed and what we do is we we uh, dry it and we shred it we found that this is the easiest way and the quickest way to compost and create the best structure for the soil everything is put together and then it takes six months uh, we have to add liquid to it. We add um, some volcanic minerals as well. And um, and that's how we make our compost.
0: Incredible. Volcanic so, minerals. Yeah.
1: Not actually a huge amount because they're quite expensive. But um, it helps also with the activation. And um, then we add the ready compost into the desert sand. And we had some terrible floods two Saturdays ago. It was really heavy, torrential rain in Sharjah. And for 15 minutes, it was like hailstones. I've never seen anything like it, but it was rain. And we thought, oh, dear, (laughs) we've lost a lot, you know. But in actual fact, what happened, it was really interesting. We lost three roofs, but most of the crops were fine. And what happened is it washed the topsoil away, which is the sand. So when you look at it, you see mostly sand. But what was at the bottom was the strong compost, the strong soil that we'd put, and the roots was strong and it held up so we had no damage to any of the broccoli to the new eggplants to the pumpkins everything was fine it was only the strawberries and the sweet potatoes
0: that suffered but the
1: rest was fine we couldn't believe it It was was incredible
0: and what do you do in the summer months when it's really really hot is there is a a halt
1: so we grow in different ways we have uh, the open uh, spaces then we have something that it's called a shabra, which is not cooled but it's shaded. And then we have our cooled grow houses, but they're all on timers. So the the fans are never all on at the same time. The cooling pads are never on at the same time. So it's quite it's quite uh, the impact is quite little actually. So out of curiosity, how
0: many different vegetables and fruits do you grow?
1: So it's around about what well, it was always around about the 130 because that was the maximum I could keep in my head. So this year alone, I have grown about 40 different types of tomatoes. 40? 40, four zero. Part of it is research, you know, I'm, and I'm also I'm a little bit of a tomato junkie. So I, I, I can't help myself trying out new things, you know. I have now for the next year, I have eight or nine varieties that I will really focus on. It's also the beauty. I mean, you grow uh, also season uh, by season, right? I don't understand how people can offer local organic vegetables without a stock count. I, I don't get it, you know? So when you order, and there's no stock count, so you can order as many as you want. I'm like, how does that work, you know? Well, then you receive a nice email. Sorry, we can't deliver your order. So for us, so when it's done it's done you know when it's done for that day it's finished and then this new thing about ordering on the day you know so we get asked why don't you deliver within one hour like well because (laughs) the way it works is you place your order we read the order and we harvest it specially for you the day that we deliver it to you and we don't want any waste so we can't do the system whereby people can just call and then it's there because we don't have a warehouse we don't have a cooled warehouse so it doesn't work for us it's, it's a conscious decision because also we don't want waste you see if we had to predict what we needed on that day you know we would have waste and this would impact again on on the price and we just don't want to waste you know so every everything today is used up on the day and then we start again fresh from the next the next day so i think that's a win-win situation for everybody and the varieties as well are different. So this is what I really stress about, you know, you should, and even for co- end consumers, you know, Try different types of beetroot. You know, you don't have to just eat the red one. Try the orange one. You know, try the yellow one.
0: This is actually a difficult part when to come when I come to your shop. It's you see all those different zucchinis and then all the different um, uh, sweet potatoes and uh, pumpkins and all different and they're so cute. You want to buy everything. The smell in yeah. your shop is incredible. The perfume.
1: Of the tomatoes. I wish that we could, you know, with the whole thing of social media, you know, so I wish we could package it up and then when people press on our post, they could smell it, you know, because the smell is so important. And people love coming because they love the smell of, of, of the produce. As you said, it's, it's sure. a big part.
0: Something I've noticed through your newsletters recently is that uh, you're not only selling now fruits and vegetables, but you're actually um, selling beauty products, cleaning products that are really interesting and you've also started a whole um, return scheme whereby you're giving me glass containers and if I wash them and bring them back actually I get a discount
1: uh, or you reuse them. We started out initially with boxes so whenever you buy a box from us um, with any content whatsoever you get a charged five dirham deposit for the box. And then when you return the box, you get the five dirhams back. So that's what we start how we started out with, because we wanted to reuse the boxes as much as possible. And then we started out with the almond milk. So we have the almond milk made, and then there was an 11.50 dirham um, deposit for a really nice bottle. And at first we were not sure people are going to go for this, you know, but it's very popular. Everyone loves the almond milk. It's really great quality, and um, people are bringing the bottles back. You know, it took a little bit of time for people to get used to it. So this really encouraged us to push further. So, for instance, now we work with Kukuyuku. They are doing a lot of their um, products for us in refundable glass jars. So they only do that for us at the minute, but I'm hoping that other companies will also um, join this effort. And so we're collecting a five dirham deposit. And when when they return the jar, cleaned, of course, um, then they get the five dirhams back. So there's other products, you know, Shirley Conlon Cosmetics, for instance. We started with them as well. They have this beautiful, organic, best quality skincare range. Um, I use nothing else. And um, so we've now launched a new initiative and you buy, um, when you return six glass containers, Um, you um, get um, a free uh, eye product, uh, the eye glow, or you can get reimbursed five derms per bottle. And they are reusing... The bottles again so this is a great initiative um, and um, we have our own products as well several different products when you buy them they come in glass jars we work with the cycle bistro as well for instance they do a couple of products for us like the yogurt the coconut yogurt or their vegan uh, pale yonoki they come in glass jars and when you return them you get your deposit back you know we want we're working. We're, with a juice company that will produce the juice in glass bottles and so forth. So, there will be a lot more announcements made. And the recent addition, sorry, I forgot to mention, is the cleaning products, you know, and they will be available in glass, refillable glass bottles as well, and more will come over the next uh, few months. This is something that we are really working on uh, expanding. And there's a lot of work involved in this and from everybody. So, the customers have to remember to return it, you know, we have to administer all of these empty jars and bottles and boxes, so there's a lot of work. It's not easy, but we've been sort of easing our way into it over the years, and this is something that we really want to expand. So our dream is eventually to have a really zero-waste operation, Um, and this is a genuine desire. I mean, we started the boxes seven years ago, You know, and really people didn't quite get the concept, you know, why would you pay for a box? But we just, this is something that comes naturally to us and we really feel the time is right to step it up a bit. Because we are willing to do the extra work, Um, we are willing to um, reduce our sales if that's what it takes, because some people will not want to do that. And um, so we lose sales also. that You have to say that very clearly. But I think overall it will be beneficial for everybody. And we are happy to sacrifice a little bit in order to uh, make a big impact long term.
0: That's all we have for you on this episode. We wish Elena all the best as they look to expand on some of their plans in the coming year. You can find more information about the show and listen to our previous episodes in your favorite podcast player or on our website, goombook.com. You can also follow us on social media and find us under Goombook. That's G-O-U-M-B-O-O-K. Thank you and see you next week.
1: It's a conscious decision because also we don't want waste. You see, if we had to predict what we needed on that day, you know, we would have waste. And this would impact again on, on the price. And we just don't want to waste, you know. So every, everything today is used up on the day. And then we start again fresh from the next, the next day. So I think that's a win-win situation for everybody.